This is Dr. Holly Lucille's Mindful Medicine. Here's Dr. Holly Lucille. Hi there, mindful listeners. Thanks so much once again for being here, spending part of your day with us. How are you doing out there? Boy, oh boy, I remember a long time ago when the mayor of Los Angeles told us that we were going to be shut down for two weeks (laughs) and everybody was a mess. And now here we are six, seven months later. Well, this episode is going to address how to stay mentally fit during things like quarantine. And I've got the perfect guest for it, Dr. Gail Saltz. She's a clinical associate professor of psychiatry with the New York Presbyterian Hospital and psychoanalyst at the New York Psychoanalytic Institute, best known, very well known for her work as a relationship, family, emotional well-being, and mental health wellness contributor in the media, where she frequently shares her her expertise and commentary on mental health aspects of current issues and news. And Dr. Saltz, Gail, we do have some current issues and news here with this pandemic. So thank you so much for being here. Well, it is my pleasure. It it certainly has a been a busy, busy time for mental health professionals. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Well, thanks for all you do and for getting the word out there. And I just think it's um so important uh, because I have seen and heard of so many scenarios, the silver linings, of course, but also some things that are not so great as this quarantine continues. Um, how how can we set ourselves up to feel? okay and the joy and happiness in as this you know i i I don't see you know even as a healthcare uh, professional i don't even see a little glimpse of light at the end of the tunnel right now that's just from all of the data that i take in on a daily basis working with an infectious disease doctor myself so give us how can we start you know knowing that this is maybe a new normal for a bit and getting in there and still feel those good, happy feelings. Right. Well, I think we have to, obviously, there's a certain amount of changing expectations, right, to to have a certain amount of acceptance of what's going on, and that it won't stay this way forever, but it may stay this way for a while. And even as it won't stay this way forever, you know, there there are a lot of losses along the way that people are having, whether they're, you know, physical losses from COVID or from somebody they love who had COVID, um, or whether they're, uh, you know, developmental milestone losses of graduations or weddings or, you know, gatherings that were supposed to happen or or, uh, whether they're economic losses, whether they're... uh, I mean, people are just having a lot of loss at this time, and you can have loss and still have and still let's say find joys in life right and find ease you can grieve and still be able to move on and move through life and the way you do that is basically you know acquiring coping tools to manage whether it's grief or loss or the other huge huge issue going on right now that you basically brought up is uncertainty we don't know what what when we're going to get back life the way it was we don't know how long this is going to go on we don't know what what might be around the corner there's just a tremendous amount of unrest political social and um and that uncertainty is driving tremendous anxiety but again it's all about building in coping tools to manage your individual anxiety it is about being flexible in your expectations of what's coming, accepting a certain amount of uncertainty, being able to live with it, essentially. And again, that's 
with coping tools, um, which I can, you know, suggest some to your to your listeners. Um, and knowing when you've really crossed the line and do need professional help, do need a therapist. Like I'm, and all my colleagues, we're very busy with telemedicine and other forms of delivering mental health care to people who are are going to need it, and it and it's appropriate that they have it, just like it's appropriate you know, that they're having whatever medical care that they might need at this time. Um, and, and, you know, and, and to put these things together to basically what am I talking about? I'm talking about building resilience, right? Life has difficult things it throws at you. And if the way has always been smoothed, you, you probably haven't built a lot of coping tools and a lot of resilience. And, and now, I mean, I, I don't know if I could call this a silver lining, but now is a good time to do that. You know, that's it, it, absolutely. And I think that it's a process, right? Because, you know, like I said, I remember um, us for sh- being shut down. And then I also remember texting a good friend of mine, I'm like, oh my gosh, it was extended for two weeks. And I think during that time, there was almost like a honeymoon period, even though it was um, a little bit dramatic and it was certainly unexpected. And, but there, it was like, a survival mode kicked in and you're going to get your gather your food and accessories like toilet paper and it's almost like there was no room emotionally for any you know anything to come through for any feelings to come through it was like let's just get get her done let's get on it right and then to still be here i think that what i've seen is that it sort of dawns on people and their emotions um and their feelings and the situation, whether it's um, you know not being able to see an elderly parent uh, who's in a nursing home because of the quarantine, or having your children home and juggling, you know, and wearing so many hats, um, whether you know you're still your uh, you know senior VP of your company, but then you're also tutoring a second you know grader in and and being a teacher, and then you're being a playground referee and um, dealing with all of that, it's almost like, I think it sneaks up on people. And that's where I've seen people get into trouble, like, where we've been trying to say, hey, I just need you to know it's okay not to be okay right now, and then sort of settle down and start to get into what those feelings are. Does that make any sense? Yes, because basically, I mean, speaking biologically, neurologically, when you are in a full-on danger situation, Right. What what kicks in? Your sympathetic nervous system kicks in and says, you know, fight, flight, and you do what you have to do, right? And and the sympathetic nervous system really sort of overrides one's emotional processing, let's say, because you know, evolutionarily, this is this is an important thing. It's a good thing. If you if you know if a bear is chasing you, uh, you you know that's not the time you're going to ponder your relationships or you know the losses you've had in life or your difficult situation, you're going to run. Um, and and that's what makes you survive. So there was a period, uh, definitely, certainly here in New York, uh, where everybody um, was right on, on appropriate, sympathetic, high alert. And it does dampen down the area, you know, your amygdala goes on overdrive. That's fear. That's anxiety at a high level. And neighboring areas that have to do with emotional processing, you know, are are not so active. And when that dissipates, then 
yes, you you are left to think about, you know, we talk about acute stress reaction and for some people that will, you know, evolve, not all people, that will evolve into post-traumatic stress disorder and sort of, you know, the processing and if it's not well processed or it's overwhelming or it's been overwhelming trauma, how that may develop into a whole other set of symptoms. But for most people, and that, that's the important thing, you know, I, I feel, unfortunately, I've seen on the news a lot of discussion of everybody's going to have PTSD. That's not true. That is not true. A small percentage of people who've been probably most affected and closest to the trauma will will potentially go on to develop PTSD. For most people, they're going to have this maybe even a couple of months of kind of an acute stress reaction, like you've been very taxed, you're highly stressed, you're in a highly stressful situation, and that might affect your sleep, it might affect your appetite, it might affect your mood state, Um, and, and there are things that you can do with that and should be doing with that, you know, whether that's, you know, aerobic exercise multiple times a week to take down stress level, whether that's paced deep breathing to physiologically relax your body during the day, progressive muscle relaxation to do to do that as well, um, support from others, talking to others who, who you trust, who you feel comfortable sharing your real feelings with, to get social support and to listen to others who feel maybe even similarly. Um, there, are, there are many things to be doing uh, to be reaching out to incorporate these social supports so you don't feel lonely, which many people are really struggling with right now. Do these things while you're in this a kind of acute phase. And even though I know it's been months, it doesn't feel like I'm, I'm not talking weeks. It still is an acute phase, you know. And, um, and, and when you put these things into place, that will just help you to step out of the loop of obsessive worry that all what you're talking about being like, how do I work? How do I juggle? These stresses tend to make you during the day just go, what if all day long? What if this next terrible thing happens? Or, you know, the kid pops up in the middle of the meeting and the boss says, you know, are you kidding me? And like, you're out of here. Whatever the, your what ifs might be, um, you get stuck in a loop. It's an obsessional loop. It's very common, but it is interruptible. And the loop makes you believe that it's real, right? That it's, it could really be happening as opposed to being able to have a more cognizant view of a lot of worries never come to fruition. They just make us miserable along the way, anticipating that they might. But they mostly don't happen. And your best means of problem solving for whatever problems are occurring is to be able to take down the anxiety and be more logical about your problem solving. And that anxiety about it beyond having done the problem solving is just anxiety. And it doesn't necessarily have to be addressed. And in fact, the more you address it mentally, the more it has an ongoing life of its own. And the more that you say, yeah, yeah, I am anxious, that is my anxiety, and sort of just leave it alone, the more it tends to dissipate. Yeah, that's a great piece of advice. And I think that slowing down and being mindful um, for folks in that space is hard, but it's so necessary just to get out, like you said, get out of the loop. And you know what I've noticed with myself is that it's almost like there'll be a period after, there'll be a period of adaptation, I should say, like I adapt to everything that's going on. 
and, 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 and myopically in my world, right? So I'm um, safe staffing at work, um, being home a lot. Uh, I, I used to travel, gosh, I mean, I think I was at LAX, um, well, I would say three to four times a month for 20 years. And I haven't traveled since February. <laughs> and I, and so I, I feel like there, for me, I, I, and I, I've talked to others about this, and I want your take on it. I will adapt for a period of time and kind of settle in to life as it is. And then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, I'm sick of this. Like, I'll, I'll dip down into more of a crisis. And I'll go through this period of turbulence and tumbling around with um, anger and with frustration and with fear. And, oh my gosh, are we ever going to get out of this? And am I ever going to see my family again? And am I ever going to be able to memorialize my dad who died right at the beginning of everything? And then, you know, I, I tumble around in that cycle for about a week and a half. And then all of a sudden, I come back into, all right, I'm adapting again. Do you see that with folks? Absolutely. Um, first of all, I'm so sorry about your father. That that's. I mean, I think that's that's another terrible and difficult thing that's been going on for many people. That you know, again, in the in the world of loss and not being able to process it in the way that you typically would, um, and having everything else continue to go on in this difficult, looming, dark sort of way um, makes those losses all the more difficult. And we are seeing. I'm seeing a lot of people with complicated grief. You know that that. That moving through the the stages of grief has been really interrupted and prolonged and feels un, unfinished, and um, and that is a whole that is very difficult, no question about it. And and sometimes psychotherapy is really really helpful in that regard. But um, but yes, basically, the the brain has a way of uh, allowing or you know our our conscious awareness of a certain amount of anxiety. And when it feels like it's going to be overwhelmed, it it throws up defense mechanisms, right? That that is what that's what minds do. And there are healthier defense mechanisms, and there are less healthy defense mechanisms. And it it unfortunately you don't necessarily get to pick which ones consciously you want to employ unless you explore it a lot. Um, and so many people, for example, right now are using denial. Uh, very primitive defense mechanism. Uh, nope, it's not there. I don't see it. And um, you, I think we're in, an, from a public health standpoint, we're in a national, many people are, are using denial to manage their potentially overwhelming anxiety. And unfortunately, I would say from a public health standpoint, it is really doing us a lot of harm, right? The idea that some people are just saying, you know, I don't believe in the virus, or you don't need masks, or um, that that's denial, right, of the reality that the virus is still here, and it's still contagious, and masks help prevent contagion, because it's so anxiety-producing to believe that and to know that. Um, and so people are using denial. But sometimes denial is not a bad thing. If it's not causing you to do behaviors or, you know, ignore, not see things that can really be harmful and you could really prevent. So a certain amount of turning off, you know, and going, okay, you know, some form of, I'll say, you know, la, 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 I don't see it. Yeah, it could <laughs> um, be know, protective I, I just, for folks. I'm, it's protective, and I'm just going to move through life. You know, I'm going to do what I got to do, and hunker down um, and do it. 
that a certain amount of that is not a bad thing, and it's sort of giving your mind a rest, but eventually, right, the feeling states do break through. So the other way to deal with it is when the feeling states break through, as you're explaining, you have a week of feeling whatever, what other what other tools can you use to manage that those dark or anxious feelings? And those are hopefully things that people can do at home to relax themselves at the same time that they're able to think about, still allow to be conscious the the feeling states that are bothering them and probably, as you're pointing out, for good reasons, for good reasons. And to know that it's normal, they're not alone, most people are feeling these things right now, it is a difficult time, um, and they can weather it. You know, that that's the thing. You know, he, we are resilient human beings and uh, things don't, life isn't always good and you can weather things, often weathering them make you stronger. Um, some people are finding their way through this and finding opportunities. They're looking for meaning. It's making them rethink what really is meaningful to them in life whereas they may have just been going along. Maybe before they were thinking, ah, money is the most meaningful thing to me in life. And maybe they're like, wait, wait, maybe I want to rethink that. You know, maybe that's really not my priority. Um, you do, be, Taking this time to be able to reprioritize, thinking about what's really important to you, what matters to you, what actually makes you happier. Um, it, you know, if you look at the data, research on happiness, uh, the things that tend to make people happiest are not what you can get personally, you know, money or that person or it, 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 it is much more based on experience with others and, uh, and giving to others being able to give to others. And those things do tend to correlate much more with actually the individual being happy. So people are thinking about practices of gratitude or ways they can serve others, their community. Um, And those are things that actually do bring a lot of personal satisfaction and are helping people through this time. Yeah, that's... Those are great points. And the resiliency, um, I think even, I mean, especially with children, you know, I mean, that young, um, having to do things differently than they had been for the last several years, as far as school and learning. And in the long run, that's going to help their minds pivot in, in, in life, you know, obstacles to come for sure. And I was on, of course, a Zoom call with my, um, uh, I graduated from the Southwest College of Naturopathic Medicine 21 years ago now. And their, um, their first quarter class came in. And of course, they're, you know, we've got this lovely campus and all that, and, and they're learning remotely. And, but I think that was one of the things that I said is like, look, you're going to learn more about telehealth, which we were kind of going in that direction anyway, right now than you would have. And you're, there's so much resiliency that you're going to be able to understand and not have to learn and not have to shift like so many other brick and mortar folks like myself um, did during this time. And so there are some great things about how we can just be more nimble. And I mean, if there's anything that uh, has driven home for me that the moment is where it's at is certainly this this last year <laughs> for sure. Absolutely. 
absolutely. I mean, look, obviously, you know, one wishes it weren't that this way. I mean, I'm not, you know, I don't want to be, I'm not being Pollyanna at all. I mean, this is, this is really difficult. I personally am also finding this really difficult. Um, I'm very aware, too, at the same time that in my field, I mean, what what we're doing, uh, most people would never have wanted to do. I never practiced telehealth. I definitely, you know, I always was firmly like, I need a patient in my office. I need to see you face-to-face. And I still think there are advantages to the face-to-face. I don't think, oh, we're going all remote. But that being said, I am very aware that uh, people who had no access now have access. That, you know, we have greatly increased, and and this is a problem in, in, in my field, a tremendous problem, is that most people with mental health issues did not get care. They did not get care because the field has been stigmatized and they don't want to get care, or they did not get care because there, frankly, was no access in their area, or because it was too expensive for them, or because their insurance didn't cover it. I mean, so many reasons, and I would say now there is more access because it can be telehealth, because even if you live somewhere where there is no psychiatrist or psychologist or child psychiatrist, which is sadly many places in this country, um, you can do telehealth, psychiatry, and psychology. You can get treatment. It could cost less. And um, and that's important. I mean, really important. And the, and many people of of you know, my generation and, and older and, and younger who would never have done this are doing this. And that is a very good thing. So, yes, I do think we're going to see some things come out of this that, that won't be, that will have been innovation out of necessity that will serve. Um, but I also think, like, be kind to yourself. Be sympathetic. You know, be, you can sympathize without wallowing, let's say. You can sympathize with yourself that this is a tough time. And women are having a very particularly difficult time. They are working many more hours um, when you put together childcare and home care and their jobs than men. We know this, 70 hours for women, 50 hours for men in this pandemic. Um, They are much more stressed. They emotionally feel responsible for the home and children uh, so much, and and it's it's been particularly difficult, I think, on women in that sense. And uh, and I think you know you have to you have to acknowledge that that's that's a reality. It is you're you're a human being. You can only do so much, um, and you have to remind yourself you're doing the best you can. You're doing the best you can. Everything isn't going to to be the way it was before. So I've got a couple more questions for you. I'm so happy that I have you right now because I've already felt it in my house. We've got a bona fide holiday season in this country. And usually it is depicted by gatherings, socialization, increase in libations (laughs) and celebrations. And all of those things are sort of like COVID no-nos, right? Traveling, being together, celebrating tradition. And I, like myself, I was looking on Airbnb and I'm like, four-day weekend coming up, where can I go and get away? How can I? Because my family isn't here. My family is, you know, all over the United States. And 
Tell how can we play out these next coming months in the holiday season here and still stay stay safe, and to your point, stay mentally and and emotionally fit. I think the biggest problem coming with the holidays is the possibility of accentuating the feeling of loneliness, which is which was by the way already a major issue public health wise uh, before this pandemic. Um, because, you know, unlike unlike decades ago where people tended to settle or be where their families were, you know, we're we're global and, and you know, people moved off and have, have done, you know, done their own things and, and we're, we're much more spread apart. Um, and because social media, while we thought, oh, that would keep us more connected in many ways, makes people feel more lonely um, looking at other people's lives. And because loneliness isn't defined by how many people are next to you or near you. Loneliness is defined by how many people you feel intimately connected with like, you know, real connection, um, not a Facebook friend. Um, And so, uh, unfortunately, you know, social media made many people feel like they had zillions of non-friends, you know, non-friend friends, friends. (laughs) Um, but but not deep emotional connection to just a few people. Um, And so that's really... I think the holidays, you know, for most people, all the trappings are about these, you know, do I have connection to deep, to people that I feel deeply connected to? Um, and, and can, you know, and it's sort of a celebration of that togetherness, you know, whatever it might be uh, around. And so I, I think, you know, the brainstorming starts about how to, Remind yourself of those deep emotional connections, even if you can't physically be together. So, you know, whether that is planning, you know, your virtual get together where you create some, you know, we're going to go around and talk about what I do feel grateful for or how I feel grateful for you in my life and have more of an emotional conversation that probably you normally would, you know, at your Thanksgiving. Um, But make an effort to do that because I think those conversations where you kind of pump up the verbiage of how you feel about the person and hear how they feel about you um, will create more of that sense of, you know, being connected to them than, um, than, you know, if obviously if you don't do that um, or you just sort of leave it alone and forget about it. And it's less about the pumpkin soup. But if you do have traditions, um, I think, you know, traditions create a sense of connectedness, a sense of we have a past together, we have a future together. Um, You know, try to morph those traditions into something that can be done, you know, in a in a safe way, you know, if that has to be virtually, if it if it's outside, uh, you know, with masks, I mean, whatever it is, if you can create, you know, if you can have some assemblage of your, you know, tradition, I think that that is a nice thing to do. But I think the most important thing is to have the verbal connection or the eye-to-eye connection with the sharing of emotional content. Um, I do, I, I, I am in the camp of, you know, safety comes first. Um, and But I do agree that part of safety is mental health. So, you know, if somebody is really struggling and having a difficult time, uh, that has to be weighed, you know, against 
uh, everything else going on. And that's sure. not the same as, so whoop, let's have a party for 30 people. Right. Because that is not safe indoors. Yeah. Everything's uh, figure outable, but, but uh, you gotta, you just gotta get a little uh, bit more creative exactly, these times. But you're going to have to be flexible and this year is not going to be the same. And the question is, can you make it more emotionally substantive, even if it is commercially less substantive? That means, yes. that means, not including a lot of alcohol because I, I, substance abuse is going way up now. There's no question that people are, you know, self-medicating and all they're going to do is end this pandemic with a major substance abuse problem, which will not be a joy even if the pandemic ends. Um, so don't increase the amount you drink. Don't use other substances. Do try to get regular sleep, seven to nine hours. Do try to eat reasonably healthy um, do aerobically exercise so you can feel good, so you can, you know, feel good as you go into this holiday season. Some people, if you know you already seasonally are affected, your mood, which many people are, you know, shorter days, darkness, their mood goes down. This happens to them every year. Uh, this is going to be a tough year. And you want to think about getting ahead of that as the clock changes Talk to a professional about whether, for example, if you really have seasonal affective issues, a light box therapy may be very helpful for you. Um, you try to institute that as soon as the clock changes um, so that you get ahead of it and not wait to get depressed. Um, so that's something I would think about going into the holidays. But most important with the holiday, don't spend something that's going to put you in the hole and just make you more stressed. May parents do that out of guilt. Like, this is a terrible time. It's terrible for my kids, so I'm, I have to get them X. No, you don't. Your kid, what, what your kid really needs is your love and engagement, and, uh, and that can be done with words which are free. Yeah, it's you. You answered my last question, which was um, was going to be, you know, when when should people understand that they might need to reach out and get some help? And I think that you answered that. And I, and I, and I, I was talking to a patient last night, and um, we were. I, it was a, a new patient intake, and I was just asking all of the pertinent stuff, you know, stress, sleep, and nourishment, diet, et cetera. And the alcohol thing came up and she's like, look, no, I'm a firm believer that I'd rather have a drink than be stressed. And I was, I was like, okay, that's an interesting way to put it. But it's almost like, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a very short term gain, right? But for long term consequences. It's actually, so here's the thing that people don't understand about alcohol. Yes, it's true that in the moment, and I literally mean in the moment, it, it, will, it will give you it will make you feel less anxious. That is true. But two things are also true. So most people drink at the end of the day, right? Because they're like, I need to relax at the end of the day and I need to go to sleep and the alcohol will put me to sleep. And it's tr those things are true. However, alcohol causes more nighttime awakenings. It disrupts the sleep cycle and therefore you will feel less rested because you will have less deep stage sleep. You just keep waking up, even if you don't remember those wake-ups. And so that sets you up to be more anxious the next day and probably drink more caffeine, which also makes you more anxious, which drives you to have more drinks the next night. The so vicious cycle. It yes. is a vicious cycle. And in addition, yep. there's tolerance, which is one glass of wine makes you relaxed tonight. And in a week, you really need another glass of second glass of wine to have the same feeling of being relaxed 
and that's how and that's because you know alcohol you have to develop a tolerance to alcohol it's a drug and and uh, that's why over time you have a problem if you can stick to your one glass of wine no matter how you feel and not go up great but you will have the tendency to to want to go up instead what i say to you is at the end of the day do some paste deep breathing do some deep muscle relaxation take a warm bubble bath Put on relaxing music for yourself. There are other ways to achieve that feeling of being relaxed. But I will also tell you that if you are finding every day, all day, you are having this what if this happens thoughts all the time, you can't concentrate, you get this feeling in your body of whooshes, I call them, like the, the like a zing of like a little adrenaline rush. And or you're feeling sad and weepy, hopeless, helpless, and you're you can't function at your normal functioning level, whether that's with your family or with your work. Um, things aren't pleasurable anymore, and this goes on for a couple of weeks. Then it is time to get an evaluation and and talk to a professional. All right. There you go, folks. Mindful listeners, it's a slippery slope out there. Um, Ben, if you are slipping down that slope during this time, there is help. You can also find more about Dr. Gail Saltz through Twitter, and that's D-R-Gail, G-A-I-L, and then S-A-L-T-Z. And of course, on her podcast, Personology, on iHeartMedia. Folks, thanks so much for spending time with us, and we'll see you next time.